So you want to tell this story? You want to do it? Which story is that, Charlie? The story about how we realized that you had not met me before, but you had kind of. <laughs> it was in this very room. This very uh, production studio in WRAK. And we were here over Labor Day weekend in 2013. Doing a Decatur Book Festival tie-in show. Yes, exactly. Uh, my friend at the time, Slash Coleman, was in town. And so I decided to have him come in and be my first ever interview for North Avenue Lounge. It was sort of my pilot show, yeah. as it were. And um, Slash kept talking about all of these things from his life in Virginia, which is how I knew him. And when we were taking a break for a commercial ID, you started talking to him about all this stuff in Virginia as well. And at some point along the way, when you both talked about Blacksburg, which is where I had been as well, all of a sudden I had one of those dawning lights of epiphany where I said, Bennett, your last name is Bennett. Jack Bennett is your brother. I kissed your brother. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like it, it probably happened like that in your head, but it, it took a little more time for us to figure that out. And I'm surprised that the skull did not make it clear to you that I was related to Jack. You all do have a very similar familial pate. Yeah. So you made out with my brother. Was it a New Year's? Is that it was right? a, a New Year's. I had to, I had gone for a very long time without kissing anyone, and so all of my friends in grad school decided that they were going to end this drought, and so they got a few different guys to kiss me on the same night. I felt so scandalous. It is pretty scandalous. <laughs> Although it was also Jack, so it probably had some kind of goofy wholesomeness too. It did. <laughs> it was very sweet. This show, which is the final highlight reel of our Ending the North Avenue Lounge highlights of Shannon M. Turner's tenure shows, is called Wookin' Penub. Wookin' Penub in all the wrong places. And if you do not know that reference, uh, Eddie Murphy had a character of Buckwheat on Saturday Night Live uh, who had, I guess, a speech impediment. So we've been making fun of speech impediments ever since. <laughs> but the way he would have said looking for love was Wookin' Penub. And this show, this is an intense show that we've got yeah. going on because we're going to have essentially the shortened version of a two-part series about online dating. Wow. Yeah. And you want to set the stage a little bit? Well, I have to tell you, Charlie, if you listen back to the whole arc of my shows and our host of Palooza's, I have this knack for being extremely vulnerable in a way that's pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people, I think. But I have just, um, over the years, been really out there with the fact that I am, I'm on... Um, a, a journey. I'm, I'm on the search for a lifelong dance partner. And actually, there are times when I have uh, dropped giant hints in. I've mentioned in uncomfortable ways uh, that uh, I was uh, especially waiting for someone in particular to come back. And it's been... Um, the show has been very cathartic for me in that way. And I think that using this final... Um, retrospective show to kind of memorialize that is really important to me for that reason. All right. This is Online Dating in Atlanta with Shannon M. Turner on the North Avenue Lounge. All right. And we're back. <laughs> but yeah, okay. The eBay, there's always, yeah, you're always looking for the better, you know, uh, uh, you have too many choices. Is that mm -hmm. what it is? Mm -hmm. Okay. Say it's like cable TV. <laughs> cable TV. That's a better. That's a better choice. Yes. But yeah, where you're just constantly flipping the channels and you don't mm -hmm. actually 
stop and watch something, you're just, you know, because the next thing, like, ooh, well, maybe something better is on. You're constantly looking for something better. So is that kind of what it is? You, you read too much into the profile? and Yeah, and I'm not sure. I think the internet has a lot to do it, with it. But for me personally, I wonder if it's not just a technological problem. I remember before the internet was so much a part of my life mm-hmm. and before I was online dating when my grandmother was still alive and I was in my 20s and not dating at all, she would say, well, you're just too picky. And, oh, you know, I used she, to get that. <laughs> she was from that generation where you married somebody on your block or, you know, from your church or, yeah. you know, nearby. And I, I do have to wonder, I sometimes have this horrible fantasy, you know, that I'm going to die and I'm going to get up to the pearly gates and I'm going to say, God, why did you let me be single my whole life? And he's going to say, I sent you all these guys <laughs> and you rejected them all. Yeah. You know? I think, I, I wonder if that's just human nature though, just to... Like you're, you constantly imagine, like, I, I still do that. Just I'm in a relationship, but every now and then I meet someone and I wonder like, what would it be like in a relationship with that person? Mm -hmm. You know, like, would it be better? Would it be worse? Mm -hmm. You know, so you, you do, I think that's just probably a human thing. We're just kind of You're curious, like, Mm -hmm. oh, would my life be better with that person? Or what I've learned over the years is the constant is always me. So no matter who I'm in a relationship with, mm-hmm. it's going to be the same. Right. Everywhere you go, you take the weather with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As uh, Crowded House would say. Yeah. But I have to say, I, I do think in terms of that one specific article that said that online dating in Atlanta is hard because women are putting up with particularly bad behavior from men. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just gave you my whole litany about the bad behavior that I've seen. It, it does get quite disheartening. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think it's all me. I mean, I yeah. feel like I go through these cycles where I try to bring my best self and I try to put my grief behind me. And, I, you know, I really am putting in my best <laughs> effort. And still, um, recently I went on this date. <laughs> And, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to record a date that I'm going to yeah. go on as a part of this two episode arc. And I really wish this is the one that we had recorded. I don't <laughs> think anybody would have believed it was true. I still can't believe it's true myself, <laughs> but I went on this date with this guy. It was my first date using the hinge app. Oh, and- hinge. Okay. See, I haven't heard of this one. This is a completely new, new discovery for me. Right. Hinge. Yes. Is a- so okay. Hinge is based on matching you through your connection to other people on Facebook. Okay. And so the profile is very lean. You just have a few words to describe yourself and, you know, a few little social parts about who you are. Okay. And then it tells you who you're connected through. Interesting. Okay. So it is like having the mutual friend kind exactly. of set you up a little yeah. bit. Okay. And it's more based on sort of like what they look like, right? Okay. So, um, I decided I'd try this out. I did a little back and forth with the guy. I had a free Friday night. And so I agreed to go out with him without asking a whole lot of questions Okay, because I, I figured sometimes that's what gets me in trouble. Yeah. Let, let the discovery be the adventure. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> then I find myself out to eat with this guy who starts to tell me he's 42. He's already been divorced three times. Wow. Okay. He's like Ross from friends. Right. <laughs> so wife number one, she was all right. She just, uh, they were only married three years and they, they had some intimacy issues. Okay. Um, so wife number two 
was the mother of his children and was an alcoholic. Okay. They were married a number of years. They actually only got divorced a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. We'll get back to her. Okay. (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) So then there's wife number three. Okay. She answered an ad on Craigslist to become the nanny to his children. And he picked her up in a homeless shelter and took her home and married her. Wow. But wait, there's more. It turns out she was an alcoholic, too, because she was self-medicating the fact that she had dissociative identity disorder, like multiple personalities. Wow. Well, you know what? When you're looking for uh, a child care provider. (laughs) Exactly. It's good that they have different skills. Exactly. Sometimes it takes more than one person to like corral (laughs) these kids and you need some help. (laughs) And apparently some of the personalities were really good and creative. And I reminded him of her good and creative personalities. Uh, (laughs) You remind me of one of my ex's personalities. (laughs) Right? That is wow. Okay. So – They'd already gotten divorced, wife number three. Okay. Wife number two drank herself to death. Wow. He buried her on Sunday, and we were out on a date on Friday. Wow. His mother was still at home taking care of his children that he just brought home to live with him from the funeral. Wow. Hey, you know what? He jumps right back on that horse. <laughs> oh, but he did therapy. He did six sessions of therapy. In the week? No, no, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> like during the whole debacle. And I said, I humbly submit that um, you seem to have a pattern of getting into a relationship with unhealthy women. Yes. And maybe a little more therapy is in order. Just a and he more. said, oh, no, I'm good. I feel really good. Now that she's <laughs> out of my life and I don't have to pay for her, I feel great. Wait, what happened to the multiple personality homeless wife? He got rid of her too. Okay. And so when we're walking out and it's like, I'm going this way and he's going this way. He says, sir, are we one and done or am I going to see you again? Mm, Go with a little column A. (laughs) And I had done such a good job of getting through this with all of my grace, not laughing in his face or acting horrified all this time. And I really wish that at the end of every first date that the whole protocol would be, you would just say, it was nice to meet you. Yeah. No matter how good you think the date is gone, because you don't know what the other person's experience has been. Right. You know, especially because women feel sort of physically intimidated and Mm -hmm. they feel this pressure to be nice. If everyone would just say, it was nice to meet you, you can run right home and text or email or even call and just say, hey, can we go out again? But that one moment where you put that pressure on is really awkward, you know? Yeah. It's just like, let it be. Yeah. Yeah. Sit. Just, hey, had a great time. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Don't even give it like a a see you later. Right. Yeah. Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah. Just the first date. That's the only time you have to do that. You know, put up that. But um, when he said that, I, I had held it together so long. And <laughs> the best I could do, I just was like, well, I think we should talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. walked off. <laughs> My people will call your people. Let's, let's get in touch. Oh, man. That's it. I, 
I'm surprised, and maybe it's because uh, maybe it is a bad idea. But I'm like, there should be there should be a portion of the dating site where you can give feedback. Exactly. And maybe not like where you it'll post like a Yelp review of the person, <laughs> but you know, you can kind of like with Airbnb. Yeah. You can kind of give the person like, hey, you know, uh, some things to think about. Yeah, just some pointers. Some more therapy might be good. Yeah. No, my friends and I talk about this all the time actually. If there could be a way that you could overlay your dating app with your Facebook or, you know, email or something so that you could view each other's matches Mm -hmm. and you could, you know, recommend them to each other and say, Hey, I'm looking at this guy. What do you think? Or blackball somebody and say, look, you know, because we had this one guy that was like working his way through our whole social circle and he was looking for wife number three. Oh, wow. By the time we figured out he'd gone out with or asked out about three or four of us, we finally did send out the word. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, but I I do think there'd be an interesting way. And we also talk about wouldn't it be nice if your friends could write recommendations for you? Yeah. Say, hey, Shannon's really creative. She's a great dater. Yeah. (laughs) She comes up with great date ideas or, you know, anything like that. I think that would be fun. That that would be great. Now, did you get the chance – any of the friends that you had in common to like, like, Hey, what's the deal with this guy? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Like, like I said, we sort of, after I'd gone out with him and then we found out that he was asking out several people oh, that were all okay. on okay. Cupid. Then we were like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Hey y'all. This is Shannon M. Turner today on the North Avenue lounge. We're listening to some of my best episodes. All right. So let's talk about differences of men and women dating on the sites and dating in general. Yeah. So I have this theory that um, men have to put up with a lot more of the crazies and the crap in the online portion. Okay. So they get targeted by the spammy porn bot ladies. That's what I call them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the just not real stuff. Oh, yeah, the the ones that are just like a porn picture and they're like, talk to me. And it's probably some, you know, dude in China that really wants to get them to transfer money or, you know, something like that. So guys have to put up with that a lot. Because guys are so easy. (laughs) So easy. That's that's because, yeah, yeah, if you're a scammer, you're like, all right, we got to go for the dumbest group. (laughs) Who's it going to be? Probably the guys. (laughs) Maybe. But that's just like their reality. And so I think that is one of the things that makes it hard for women to approach men online, because I think a lot of times guys have a hard time weeding through all that stuff. Okay. We're like, is she a bot? Is she real? In fact, I am, I put that on my profile. I'm not a spammy porn bot lady (laughs) because I I mean, I, I think you can tell that from my pictures. They're a little bit more realistic, (laughs) Yeah. but, um, and there's also just a lot of sort of dry humor in there, but I, I think that also women just aren't as prone to make the first approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what guys have to put up with. Women have to put up with the crazies and the crap in real life. Okay. IRL, right? <laughs> I- IRL. Yeah. So all that litany of stuff that I just went through of all the crazy first li- first dates and everything, that's men don't have to put up with that as much because once you get to the IRL, yeah. Um, men have it much easier because women okay. tend to be on their best behavior on dates. I mean, with the exception of that, I think there are women who definitely go out on some dates just for the free food. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't do that. I, I try very hard to pay equally. Sometimes I don't. I mean, it just depends. Yeah. I mean, if a guy asks me to a restaurant that I can't afford, then I'm going to let him pay for it. Yeah, he, you ask for yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I can tell that it really is important to a guy to pay, especially for the first date. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm not going to, like, put up a fight about it. Yeah. You know? Well, let me ask you about that because I remember back in my dating days, and I, I don't know, I think I would feel differently about it today, mm-hmm. um, dating. But I remember I used to have that if I took someone out and they were like, Oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for my part. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, she wants to get out of here. She doesn't want to see me anymore. Oh. <laughs> like, no, you're not the first guy that's told me this, that there's like some kind of attribution of the quality of the feeling about, you know, it's like somehow if I let you pay, then you like me, then I like you or, you know, yeah. I don't get that at all. I think, but I think that's a, I think that was probably when I was, yeah. In my, when, in my younger days, mm-hmm. in my, 20s, early 30s, I feel like I felt that way. Mm-hmm. If I was single today, I wouldn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because yeah, I remember, because when I was dating my wife at the time, she paid, as a matter of fact, I think our first lunch date or whatever, we went Dutch, and I didn't feel like, oh, she she just wants to get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I was just like, oh, okay, this is our first meeting. Mm-hmm cool that's fine she you know and i i kind of probably said something like okay cool you can pay for this one i'll get the next one you know yeah. and she was like okay cool and i was just like all right yeah we're both adults you know and i think sometimes it really just depends on a lot of things sometimes for me i i want the guy to know that i'm financially independent that i'm not looking for anything from him yeah or you know it may just depend on the day it, it really yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like ah, i didn't stop by an atm go yeah. ahead grab this one yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so there's all of that to contend with in terms of like men versus women and how we approach things. I also think for me, there's just like subtleties of things that I just miss, which may be why I'm still single. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that Aziz Ansari says in his book is that there's this whole game that people play around texting. You were talking about how important texting has become to communication. Yeah. And apparently there's all this stuff about how long you wait to text and what, whose text is longer than the other and how much information you give away in texting. I never thought about that before. I just, I'm so transparent in who I am. And I mean, I'm sitting here being completely vulnerable about my dating life. So, yeah. I mean. But you know what? It's funny because like how, because before texting, you mm-hmm. know, when we were growing up, there was always kind of that, you know, if, if the person called you and they left oh, a message yeah, and I like how, so. how yeah. soon before you called them back. So like, That's I feel true. like that. As the technology, you know, changed. There's there's, always games. (laughs) Yeah, there's still got to be something like that with the texting or instant messaging Mm -hmm. where, you know, okay, she just texted me. I'm going to wait 15 minutes or so. I have have a real life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, and I think it's that whole thing of not wanting to appear too desperate. It's Mm -hmm. like, you don't want to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. on the first ring (laughs) kind of thing. But you know what? I think for me, for the longest time, one of the reasons why... This was so hard for me for so long before online dating was even something I had access to is that I, I put up this whole facade and my my pattern was just these crushes on on my guy friends, you know, mm-hmm. and I I would pretend that there was nothing, you know, I had this like whole ice queen thing going on. And yeah. so my whole journey has been about learning to express my actual interest in someone, you know? Yeah. And 
I guess the technology has helped me get better at that, but I'm not really interested in playing games anymore. I just want the person to know, hey, I dig you. Let's yeah. go out. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to wait 20 minutes to text you back or two hours or whatever. If, if I'm available, I'm going to let's let's do this. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? There, as much I like, I don't like games either. But there was something always a little intriguing about the dance, yeah. about that, especially. Like you said, if you have like a a, a friend that you mm-hmm. already know mm-hmm. and you both kind of have an interest in each other mm-hmm. and you're both kind of trying – because you already know each other. So mm-hmm. now you're trying to figure out if the mm-hmm. other one has the interest because you don't want to mess up like a friendship or yeah. if you guys have mutual friends, you don't want to make it weird. Mm-hmm. And then I remember I remember those days of just yeah. that, we- that dance and like – Ooh, I think she might like me. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's like a chess game. Yeah. It's <laughs> like that saying that people only run a, run toward what's running away from them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there is that. I know. I need to do better at causing that allure of disinterest or whatever. <laughs> I, you know what? But it's one of those things. I don't know if it's if you can completely like plan it because yeah. it's one of those things. It has to be spontaneous. And mm-hmm. and just just speaking from my own experience. When I have like had an interest in a friend and Mm -hmm. like I said, so you're trying to put like these little breadcrumbs of like, I like you, but if you don't like me, then it's cool. It's not going to be awkward, you know, but, and you don't want your other mutual friends to kind of know because you don't want to get rejected from your friend. It's almost like you're turning your back, but you're looking over your shoulder. Yeah. It's just those little, you know, those little like. Those little flirtatious games, yeah. that, yeah, that dance, mm-hmm. I, I always thought was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't know if you can do that with a complete stranger. I yeah. think that's always in that situation of the, the like you said, your guy friends. It's mm-hmm. a friend you already have. Mm-hmm. And I, I always wind, wound up being attracted to people I already knew, mm-hmm. you know, because you already know if you have mutual interests and mm-hmm. you get along. And so that's you're in your proximity. You're around them all the time. It's kind of one of those things about... You know, they say like a lot of uh, romances happen in the workplace because that's who you're around all the time. My wife was like the first, one of the first relationships I've had that was a complete stranger I just met randomly with no connection to anybody else. I like that metaphor about the dance, though. I I use that all the time, not just because I work for a dance company. I think think about it like I'm looking for my lifelong dance partner. And Mm -hmm. I, because I think of communication as a dance about knowing who you are and who you want to be with and how you lean on that person or let them share weight with you as a dance. And there's lots of ways that dance is a really good way of thinking about relationships. Oh yeah. I think one of the biggest dances is that you both have a compatible way of arguing and fighting mm. and not physically fighting, but <laughs> no. just, I think there, that is, that is such a key compatibility thing yeah. because as happy as we want our relationships to be, there's always going to be a conflict with yeah. people that are close to you. And how you handle conflict, I think, is a mutual. For sure. Yeah, it's like a re- like recognizing, like, oh, we kind of fight and argue the same way, mm-hmm. so this works. You know what I mean? Like, I- I'm not a yeller. I don't mm-hmm. argue and throw things. And I've had girlfriends that like to throw furniture at me, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, this isn't <laughs> going to work at all. No, I think it's about fighting effectively to use the conflict as a growth. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you know, the, the person that gets on your nerves the most is usually the person that's closest to you. Mm-hmm. So like our families, you know, we love our families, mm-hmm. but 
God, do they know how to push your buttons, yeah. you know, but you're not going to stop loving them, you know, but it's, yeah. How do we, God, my brothers and I used to just have, I mean, well, when we were kids, I mean, we'd have physical fights, but mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, like I still love my brother. Like I would never like try and break his arm or something, you know, but mm-hmm. like we, but we would fight. And then afterwards we're both like, okay, are you okay? <laughs> you all right. All right. Mm-hmm. I didn't hurt you. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. So it's like that person who's like the closest to you, they're going to be able to push your buttons. They know. And just if they fight in a, or argue in a compatible way, mm-hmm. that's not, you know, g- going to be a detriment to the relationship, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a very conflict avoidant family. I mean, we would rather walk on our lips than actually say what we were feeling. Or oh, thinking, wow. you know, like a lot of silence and eating as fast as possible when <laughs> things were uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And through my journey of adulthood and lots of therapy, I've, I've grown to see conflict as really important. I mean, not that I'm like going out of my way to sponsor conflict, but I, when I see it as there, mm-hmm. I see it as an opportunity to like really work something out. And then my best relationship was definitely, even though it ended up ending, you know, the conflicts were helpful to like really make, make new conversations happen. So we were going to talk about um, the different sites. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I I know 10 years ago, there was Match.com. Mm-hmm. Um, eHarmony wasn't a thing yet, I don't think, then. Or maybe it was just starting. There was, I remember JDate. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. And what was before Match.com? There was one before Match. Um, oh, I can't remember now. Yeah, because now, like, with Tinder and everything, that's yeah. a whole – I know nothing of those. I always think of eHarmony as being sort of the granddaddy of them all, and mostly because if your granddaddy was dating, that's the one he would be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, it, a lot of people got started there, mm-hmm. and fairly quickly, I think a lot of people became dissatisfied with it. Um, and same with Match.com. It sort of went eHarmony, Match.com, okay. and then OKCupid. Okay. And the – the first two are paid services. Mm-hmm. And eHarmony is super rigorous in its management. And I've actually known a few people that were turned away from their personal sites. Really? Yeah. From the service? Mm-hmm. Now, what was it? Do you know what it was that turned them away or they just never tell you? Yeah, they, they said that our algorithm is not going to be able to match you with anybody in our system. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but that they do. They have this multi-step process that you have to get through before you can start even openly communicating with Okay. Um, and I did eHarmony once for a year and went out on a handful of dates with men and found it really frustrating. Okay. Um, Even with their 20 points of compatibility. I know. I mean, and that was when I was brand spanking new to Atlanta and had no idea yet that like dating somebody that lived 30 miles away was really not going to be okay. Oh yeah. Geographically you know? undateable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, cause when I lived in Blacksburg, 30 miles was not that big of a deal. Yeah. Here it is. Um, and then I, I went to match.com, which was, is also a paid service and um, it was a little bit easier, but I was starting to find some of the same problems. And now almost, I don't think I know anybody that's doing those two services. Okay. And the thing that I find really interesting is that most people I know still find seeking for a relationship to be one of the most important things in their lives at different points of the year, Mm -hmm. you know? And yet 
they would never pay for a matching service. Okay. It's just become, because they're so ubiquitous, they refuse to pay for it. And I kind of find that interesting. So in the times when I'm like, oh, yeah, I really want a partner, Mm -hmm. I think, well, I should be paying for this. Yeah. And, And yet it's the paid services are really poor quality. I mean, you end up getting matched with a lot of guys that are looking for Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, oh, that's a whole nother facet <laughs> I didn't even think about. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We, we've definitely gone down the rabbit hole now. Yeah. Man, well, let's, let's take a quick, another quick break here. And okay. then we, I want to talk more about this. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is the North Avenue Lounge. You are listening to a highlight episode of Shannon M. Turner's Best Shows. And today we're talking with Dee Wagner, co-author of Naked Online. And she is going to talk to us about this wonderful book that she's created. It's a workbook. Uh, it's partially workbook, partially just new text that's about the exploration of your personal self as it relates to online dating. Would you say that's how you would characterize the book? Absolutely. So it's got, as you say, text, and it's very much a workbook. How did you come to this subject matter, and why why were you fascinated by it? I came to it from online dating. When I decided to do some online dating myself, I was really amazed at how incredibly stressful the process can be. Um, because I am a psychotherapist and mostly because I'm a dance therapist, so I understand body reactions, my first thought was, I need some exercises. I need some exercises to help myself through the highs and lows, the roller coaster kind of experience of this process because there's a, a, it's very intentional. I'm looking for someone to do very intense things with, like connect, relate, eventually have sex. So it's got a lot of intense energy to it. And then when when you go head down a path and you think, hey, maybe this will be, you know, an interesting person here and it doesn't work out, it can be so disappointing. And I knew as a therapist it was stirring up my little kid's feelings, you know, like, oh, doesn't anybody like me, you know, or, ah, but I really wanted it to work out with that guy. That seemed so fun. And so I knew this was my little kid, and I knew my little kid needed some help. So I started creating these exercises for myself. When I met my guy, the guy who I've been with now for almost <clears throat> four years, a little over four years actually, um, then I stopped. I stopped working on it because I thought, well, okay, so I'm, you know, I, I made it through. But a friend of ours, about a year later, she said, you should keep writing that book. She was, she is, and has continued to do some online dating. And then, so the three of us, my my guy, because he's an artist, and this other woman and I. We kept writing the book, kept developing it. She kept online dating. I have a lot of clients that online date. Uh, The reason I brought my guy and the artist involved is because when we're dealing with little kid feelings and we're journaling, which most people know journaling is very therapeutic, but drawing in particular is very therapeutic. And this is a long answer to what your question was, but I'll tell you one more little thing, and then I'll let you ask a second question. No, please um, take your time. That's what we're here for. When we previewed the book at the... Decatur Book Festival, what we did is we put up a sign that said, draw your online dating experience. And we had 80 people come and do drawings. And people would sit there drawing and they would go, this is so therapeutic, which of course is exactly 
what I knew would happen. And so that's why I got my artist guy, John Cargill, involved um, to draw some little drawings to help encourage people to draw their feelings, not just write them in words. And, and pardon me for asking this. I hope you don't mind, but you're a little bit older than the average online dater, yes? Um, I don't mind you asking at all. And I don't know technically average. I mean, I know I'm a little bit older in general than some people who date. I'm 58. In fact, my birthday is a few days away, and I'll be 59. Um, my research is telling me actually there are people online dating. It just doesn't seem as commonly known of all different ages, including some neighbors that were talking about their 90-year-old mother who was online dating, um, um, the guy's mother and the woman's mother-in-law. So there are people of all ages. The younger people, you and younger, um, and a lot of my younger clients, online dating becomes just the way to date. You know, I'm wondering if it's going to eventually drop the online and just this is how we date. I mean, I have clients talking about sitting in a, a gathering of friends and the guy across from the table comes up on Tinder for them. Um, so this, you know, I have another client who was talking about she's at a big group. She came with a guy and he's texting her, um, again, from across the table. So this whole internal message, you know, digital messaging while also being in person is becoming so common that, that this is the way of dating for a lot of younger people, for sure. Um, but people my age and even much older are also, use, it's a great way to meet people that you wouldn't meet every, any other way, which is funny because as I listen to you on your date, your um, recorded date, um, that was one of the comments that your date named was, hey, it's a good way to meet people. I've always thought of online dating and not as a practitioner, as an observer, online dating is just a different framework as opposed to, say, the bar scene or maybe church or school or um, professional associations or whatever. So it's almost like it doesn't matter age-wise except in the idea that people might have technical difficulties if they're older and not used to digital lives. But as you said, pretty soon, everyone who should know how the web works, you know, will be able to online date and have it just be another framework, you know. I used to date in the bar scene, and by date, I don't mean date. I just, that's how I met people and connected with them, you know, briefly. <laughs> and uh, that, I mean, that's not a way to date anybody. I think I would have done better with online dating Back then, it didn't have to do with my age, though. It had to do with the assumptions I was making about how to meet people. I just think of it as a marketplace that where you can declare your intentions, and that's why it's been better for me than the in-real-life scenarios that you just mentioned. Because in, in any place where a, a person might meet in real life, I fail mightily. <laughs> Whereas uh, online, I've been able to, you know, just be there and say that this is why I'm here. <laughs> because of the control over mm -hmm. what you're, what you can expect and what you're delivering or what you're presenting yourself mm -hmm. as. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating because as you were both talking about intentionality, it made me realize that off that online dating and bar scene get compared a lot. 
and probably because they are both intentional. That going to a bar to look for um, someone to meet people was in, intentional. I'm out looking for someone to connect with in a romantic slash sexual way. And I had never thought about that before. That's one reason probably people compare those two, bar, online dating. I'm putting myself out there as looking for someone to mate, partner, you know, up with romance. And, and that's why the third option needs to be on the table as we have this discussion, and that is the old matchmaker system, which was equally intentional. And that's why we have Match.com. And we have people these days going to matchmakers and wanting a matchmaker. The difference between bar and the old matchmaker, and online dating has the potential for the old matchmaker piece, too, is that there is not just the animal kid self, hey, I'm looking for some fun, I'm looking for some sex, there's also a more rational, the, the parent part of us and the matchmaker who are thinking, yeah, but long term, is this going to be a good fit? Is this going to work for my, my child to match up with this person or the matchmaker? So my, my clients, are they going to be good not just in the heat of the moment, but also longer down the line? Now that contrasts against sort of what all of our romance stories are though right because the stories we see about romance are almost always people thrown together by circumstances outside of their control and in fact one of the tropes is uh, i didn't know what i was looking for until you arrived or something like that that romantic in our minds comes from i had no choice or i never expected it does that sound right to you too mm-hmm yeah I, I think that the other thing about the, the matchmaker scenario is that the, the person in question didn't seem like they had a lot of control. I mean, there might have been some intentionality, but it was, you know, as Dee says, the the parents. Oh, they gave themselves up to the matchmaker. Yes, Sort of like, exactly. okay, I, I mm-hmm. will allow this to happen. Right. Well, know. or and also it was the parents who were controlling the process. Yeah. So I would well, hope that these days that's not the case. <laughs> well, and... Stories and bringing in the idea of stories and me being a therapist in that sort of Jungian framework of therapy, stories are always about lessons. They aren't necessarily about just life. So, so what is the lesson here? And then a story, this from um, you know matchmaker, filler on the roof, the song about the matchmaker, the story of the matchmaker, and. And the person that she picks that she thinks is going to long-term be what um, the oldest daughter wants, it's not who she loves. Mm-hmm. So then the dad has to deal with, hmm, what's the better choice? So the matchmaker says, this one guy who she's not in love with, the daughter says, I want this guy, it's who I'm in love with. The parent has to make a decision about it. And that's actually what's happening inside us in this process is our kid self may say, I want this person. You know, I want this person. I want this this way. I want this right now. And then our rational, our more adult self has to, uh, ideally, you know, in a healthy person, has to evaluate the situation and make a decision. You know, 
so all parties, all pieces of us become important. The balance of the kid self, where the kid self is part of this, the animal self, you know, this is what interests me, this is what I'm attracted to. And then the adult self that says, hmm, you know, this seems to be causing problems or, yeah, cool, yeah, good information, great. So how much, you know, and this could bring us sort of to your date that you just had, Shannon, but how much in the process, how much voice do we give to the kid self, to the animal self, and how much do we pay attention in our adult matchmaker self to the process and say, hmm, something's not good, it's not the best it needs to be, which is what the workbook, which is what online dating, I mean, which is Naked Online, the workbook, which is what it's about, is to use the online dating process to help get better and better at the balance of kid animal self and adult parent matchmaker self. I'm going to get on this side of you. Sure. That's not just a recording, actually. I'm legally blind in my left eye, so... I like to put my good eye on people. Gotcha. <laughs> so, on your left side if I'm going to go make faces. <laughs> exactly. Okay. It's been done before. I would not do that. It's not making a face. You're supposed to see it. <laughs> but it doesn't, I mean, except for every once in a while I run into something on that side. <laughs> but I see movement and shapes and stuff. It's lazy, though, so when my good eye is open, um, the bad eye kind of shuts down. Oh. So it won't, like, focus with the other one? Right. But I don't seem to have that problem that a lot of people do with lazy eyes where it goes wandering off, you know. To the other side? Yeah. When I was a kid, they put a patch on my good eye to strengthen it, and it drove me crazy. I fought it tooth and nail. Well, first they put drops in to, (laughs) to, uh, you know, blur the vision in my good eye, and I was allergic to them, and so I cried and screamed and drug my head across the floor, and... They had to take me to the emergency room. and I assume that only happened when you were a child. You'd yeah. still cry and scream and drag yourself across the floor when you were happy about <laughs> well, something. Well, I might do it after this date. <laughs> All right, well, hey. No, yeah. yeah, it was only when I was having an allergic reaction well, to something. After, otherwise I would have a good story to tell. <laughs> right. No, I, um, I just, I, I didn't take well to the drops. There was something in them that kind of drove me nuts, and so... Um, then they would put a patch over my glasses or over my eye and when they did it just over my glasses I would pull my glasses like here I'm exactly. a like five year old and I would like pull, pull my glasses, glasses down, down on my nose like I was a little old lady and so then they put the patch right on my eye and every day my mom would send me to school with a patch and every day I would come home and it would be gone right. and the teachers were following me into the bathroom to make sure that it wasn't in the trash can and you know it was this whole Shots you know thank you um, there was this whole, you know, posse of people that was trying to keep the patches on my eye. Right. So eventually they gave up, and I brought all my stuff home at the end of kindergarten, and my mom <laughs> washed my little pillow that I took a nap on every day, and it had yeah. a little hole in it, yep. and like 27 patches came out. <laughs> nice. Oh, she was so mad. I think she gave me a spanking, or at least she threatened to. Nice. I was so busted. Would you want to hear some of my thoughts listening to your date? Please, I would love that. I was appreciative and moved to hear about your experience with your eyes growing up. Mm. And um, 
I've done a lot of work with clients who have eye issues, had eye issues growing up, and eyes that don't focus together, and different kinds of medical deals with that. And almost, well, everybody, everybody I've ever worked with with eye issues is a very sensitive person. And as a person who knows you and a friend of yours, certainly you are this, you know, radiant, brilliant, sensitive, you know, person. And um, part of how we become centered, grounded people is in our childhoods we push. We push against our parents. We push limits. We push. And this is ideally. Ideally we're able to push. And with clients, what I'll say is, you know, this is a little hard, you know, just auditorily, but you can, anybody who's listening to this, you can do it wherever you're sitting, you know, just push into something, push into the arms of the chair you're sitting on, you know, push your feet into the ground, push on a wall, push on something, and notice how when we push, we feel ourselves, we feel our bodies more fully than we do if we're not pushing against something. So pushing, wrestling, all these things are very important that they happen growing up enough that we figure out who we are, where we are on a body level, not just a, you know, not just a, I can write a profile about who I am kind of mental level, but we get centered, we get grounded. When we get enough of that, then we don't have to do so much pushing in our romantic relationships. Often, my sensitive people, and I was thinking, what this came to me as I was listening, because whenever you would say something that was different than what your date had said, rather than him sticking with his position, like he might make a point and you might say, but, da-da-da-da-da-da, and he would always acquiesce to whatever you said, like, eh, well, you know, that could be, you know, give you room for your own thought. You know, it wasn't that he was being a wimp at all. He obviously had his own opinions, but he didn't feel any need to argue with you about anything. And, you know, it's a first date, understandable. But sometimes people who didn't get enough, you know, who had um, issues growing up that, that parents, you know, how do I keep that eye patch on her eye? Is an eye patch even really what she needs? You know, sometimes people who grow up without enough pushing, and, you know, again, I don't know you that well. I'm just getting to know you. I know you, your stories. I know you're, you know, you're a fabulous storyteller and this wonderful, you, you know, you give to the community, you do all these great things. Anyway, so I just wondered about that. I wondered if there's a way that what you kind of are drawn to is someone who is um, less less available um, because there's this need to, to wrestle. Anyway, does any of that resonate? <laughs> I, I feel suppose. Free to say, no. <laughs> it made me think of Brene Brown and, you know, what you said in her book about why do we fight, mm-hmm. you know, about fighting and mm-hmm. about that what's my story, that the need, all of our needs to become healthier individually, mm-hmm. and then our relationships become healthier. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I'm making soup, I love to just open up the cabinets in the fridge and put together a bunch of things that don't go together. And that's what a best of show was like. This is the North Avenue Lounge. 
kind of regretting scheduling this date today, actually. I know I need to do it for the show, but I'm um, really tired. I worked all day today volunteering at Cafe 458. It was a really good day, um, but I'm exhausted from waiting tables. And I'm not sure if I'm going to bring my best self to this date. How we develop these bubbles um, comes to the chapter in the book that's about highs and lows and that ability to self-regulate. And that kind of brings back to the um, my heart wasn't in it piece, Shannon, when you were talking about the date. When we are tired, you know, you had done this beautiful work, um, volunteer work, and when we're tired, when we, you know, paying attention to, well, basically it's paying attention, attention to our nervous system response and keeping ourselves in what Stephen Porges calls the social engagement system. We can't interact with other people if we're not well self-regulated. You know, ideally, we have this kind of parenting that teaches us how to regulate our nervous system and attend to our bodies and the needs of our bodies. How can we keep ourselves out of shutdown and out of fight-flight, out of this anxious-anxious or out of this, this shutdown, not really present place? So this learning to be into ourselves enough, knowing about ourselves, attending, caring for ourselves, then it firms up our bubble and makes us more able to relate. Um, is this making sense? Absolutely. And I think that's the problem with trying to fit everything in when you have a busy life. I probably should have never <laughs> scheduled a date on a Sunday night after having volunteered all day. <laughs> and yet, look at all that you learned. Uh-huh. in the process. Um, Dee, we're going to have to wrap up our conversation kind of soon, but before we do, I'd like to go back to the beginning, <laughs> which is to talk about the profile. Um, we sort of skipped over that, and I think yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. really important part of online dating. My profile has been pretty much the same for several years now, and I kind of like it. I'm proud of it. I think it's creative and fun and funny and represents who I am very well. Um, but it has been pretty static. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about it. Excellent. Um, I agree. I thought it was um, clever and, uh, and, and open. And I'll say open not in a way. When I say open, I don't mean open your bubble and, and merge. I mean open like blinds. In other words, my bubble is, you can see in, and the blinds are open, you can see who I am, but I am well protected, you know. Um, I don't let people close until I feel they're safe enough to let them close. So I thought, you know, it was great. I mean, in the book, we encourage using the writing of your profile to fall more deeply in love with yourself, and um, it feels like there's a a fair amount of self-love here. The, The one thing that jumped out to me about your profile was, what you wrote about in terms of what you were interested in, you know, the other person being. And um, I thought that what, like, one of the first things you said about, I'm walking to my notes, was kind, intelligent, great sense of humor. Jimmy Fallon meets Jimmy Stewart meets John Stewart. And then 
I mean, just let's just look at that right because I know there's not a lot of time. That says a lot about you. And it's, you know, the cleverness of the Jimmy Fallon meets Jimmy Stewart meets John Stewart and the plays on the Jimmys and the Stewarts. And it's very clever, and it says a whole lot about you, um, which is beautiful. But if someone is reading and thinking, oh, man, i got to be that, you know, um, wow, you know, I don't feel a whole lot of room to show up just as me. Mm. And that fits the feedback that you got, like you said, from Brittany, you know, that maybe you're judging. And, and a body way of saying judging is maybe there's a, a, a tank, like you say, you know, like um, that, that maybe there's some, um, this is a lot to say, so maybe there's, I'm not so great at taking care of my highs and lows, meaning helping myself rest up when I need rest, helping myself feel safe when I might feel scared. And that then creates a bit of armor, which could be a bit of judgment. You know, you're, you don't feel safe to me. This feels wrong with you and that feels wrong with you. And I don't feel safe just kind of hanging out and being and letting you be you and it's okay that you're the way you are because I'm I'm good I'm secure I can take care of me and therefore I can enjoy you and you can be different enough you can surprise me um, because I'm more comfortable with me because I'm taking better care of me that's my thought nice it's really beautiful thank you for that feedback I appreciate it um, the reason why that that phrase came about, and I've always felt like that was one of the most original parts of my profile, is that I've always... It is. It's very original. <laughs> It'd be nice if there's a way that you could say it more as, you know, as this is about me, mm. and not that this person really has to be all those things, because that could feel like, oh my gosh, I can't be all the things she wants right. me to be. But go ahead. Finish telling me. Um, I've always loved that scene in It's a Wonderful Life uh, when he comes home for the honeymoon in the old Granville house. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. And uh, he walks into this house that she's transformed in just a number of hours and you know, the the turkey is roasting over the fire that's being uh, fueled by the record player and the posters are hanging on the wall and um She's just managed to make everything beautiful and warm and special out of nothing. And he looks at her with so much love and amazement at her ingenuity in that moment. And he, I think he, he really sees her for the first time. And that is, that is a quality that um, I've just always wanted somebody to see me in that way. <laughs> you know, like that, that ability yeah. to um, not want for worldly possessions, but to make something beautiful out of nothing. <laughs> That's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And thank you for sharing that where it takes me quickly, because I know we don't have a lot of time. Chapter two, which is about using other people's profiles to fan the flames of your fantasies. That, that fantasy, that this is what I want that that fantasy tells us so much about ourselves. And so that wish to be known and seen and appreciated and that hunger, which is deep, that you've described, what I would wish for you, and maybe this is a great way to end, is more of that within yourself, more of that 
that Jimmy Stewart. I mean, you are. You are exact. You are, and it's hard for you to even just embody and own how wonderful it is. I I think you know. I, I offer that respectfully. You are Jimmy Fallon meets Jimmy Stewart meets John Stewart. That is you. <laughs> and can you see you with the eyes of Jimmy Stewart who appreciate your lack of, of you know material things and the warmth and the radiance and the humor and the um, you know that that is you. If you when as you see you with Jimmy Stewart's eyes, you strengthen your bubble. And you strengthen it in a way that it can be flexible, not a tank. It was our fourth date. I was nervous to see his house for the first time. Almost as soon as I got inside, as he was giving me a little tour before we went out to eat, he picked up this strange pinkish-red plastic thing off the end table next to his couch. Oh, and this, he said with great excitement. He held it in his hands giant, beautiful hands, tossing it from one palm to the other. It looked like a red oval or maybe a flat egg, but then he flipped one side of it around and suddenly it turned into a heart. He put it in my hands. My kid made this, he said with a gleam in his eye. Well, we did it together. We made one for each of the kids in his class for Valentine's Day. You made this? I asked incredulous. Yeah, we have a 3D printer downstairs in our workshop. We call our workshop the Geekosphere, he exclaimed with great delight. Because he placed it in my hands, I wasn't sure if he was actually giving it to me. Was he giving me his heart? After a while, I casually placed it back on the table because I was pretty sure he wasn't giving me his heart. Not yet, anyway. I had heard a little bit about 3D printing here and there over the last few years, but hadn't thought much about it. That night, when I saw the spark in my new love's eye, I came to understand all the joy and possibility that this world of making can bring to bear. That was the beginning of our eight months together. Sometimes we would go to a public event where making was a component, even where a 3D printer was featured, and we would stand and stare for a while at what was emerging at the base. He was always ready to walk away before I was, I think I was particularly trying to show my interest in his world. I've read many articles about what makes a successful relationship. Most of them say that one thing is that you should have shared interests and your own interests, but that you should be supportive and even fascinated by your partner's interests. We were really good at that. We both had our own versions of creativity and we supported each other. Toward the end, I went to last year's Maker's Fair with him and his kids. It was an experiment to see if he could find comfort with all of us being together. It was a bright, beautiful, crisp day in early autumn. As we walked around together, I experienced so much dissonance. The fair itself was full of many exciting, interesting sights and sounds and smells. I was watching him with his kids and I felt very lonely. I was imagining whether we would ever become a family. Thanks to Maker Fair Atlanta and Museum of Design Atlanta for coming out today to tell more people about the creativity, innovation, and possibility in the Maker movement. You've inspired me to think about innovation and possibility as well. And maybe if he still listens to this show, he'll know that I'm still waiting for him to come back. I'm still waiting for him to show up with his heart in his hands.